Well, it truly was amazing to see God use each one of you to shine the light of Jesus, the hope in the darkness. You know, this Christmas, God allowed us to reach thousands upon thousands of people. And maybe you're someone who came at Christmas and you're new with us. If so, I can't wait to get to know you. And I'm just so glad that you're seeking God. We invite you into our family here at Connection Point. I want to take just a moment to celebrate what God did through all of you, through our Yuletide Festival in the front parking lot, through our online services here in our building. I actually heard a story. It starts sad and it shows the darkness that we're in. There was actually a shooting in the area back in December. And someone from our church was text messaging with one of the police officers who helps us here with security. And the police officer said to this person in our church, thank you, Connection Point, for doing what you did in the parking lot, for doing everything you're doing as a church. This police officer actually said, things are so dark right now in our community. There's so much evil. There's so much discouragement and depression. And Connection Point You are shining the light in a way that our police officers see it, our first responders see it, thousands of people in our community are seeing it, and church, way to go. Our world needs the light of Jesus. You know, when I think of how things are going in our country this week and within the last year, I think of a storm. I think, in fact, of a a huge storm like this and Church, this is our mission. Jesus came into this world as the light of the world. That's what we learned about at Christmas Eve. And Jesus calls us, believers in Jesus, the body of Christ. Why? Well, because we're his physical presence in the storms of this world. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We know that Christ will return. He will make everything right. He will judge injustice and evil once and for all. And until then, it's our mission to keep lifting Jesus high because he's the solution to the problems in the world. He's the light of the world. And I just want to reassure you in this week that has shaken our nation, that we as a church stand secure on the solid rock of Christ. Yes, our hearts break for our nation and we have great empathy and we have many emotions. But in the darkness and the evil of this world, we know the hope and the light and the life. I want you to know as a pastor and as a shepherd that I love you. I want you to know that you're part of a church family where you're always safe, where we are secure, where we are stable where we are united in a world where any TV channel you turn on, any social media channel is defined by division and hatred and what people disagree about. We are a place where we come together, very diverse kinds of people around one common belief that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're a unified body of Christ. And I just cannot encourage you enough as the world keeps shaking around us, keep leaning in to what we are as a church. I'm not gonna do a whole message on this today, but I just felt led that I have to share with you a few simple scriptures for this moment in time. I wanna encourage you, God appointed you to live at this moment in time, not to simply survive, but to shine the light 
to shine the light bright in the darkness. You know, at times it might feel like the darkness is just gonna drown out the light, but darkness will never drown out the light. I love this command from God in Romans chapter 12. He says this, do not be overcome by evil, but instead overcome evil with good. I love it that God says, don't be overcome by evil because he knew there would be times when we feel like the evil's just too big, it's just too much. You think of Christians throughout history, those people who lived for Christ during Nazi Germany or during Stalin's era in Russia or under Roman rule when Christians were being fed to lions in the Colosseum. People of faith in Christ have gone through even more difficult things than we're going through. And surely they felt like the evil was gonna prevail and yet they were able to live this out to overcome evil with good. How are we able to do that? By the power of Christ within us. We're also able to do that as we stay united. As you interact in these following days and as people are on edge and insecure and unsettled, I can't encourage you enough as a follower of Jesus to make this next verse really your hallmark for this next week. 1 Peter 4 verse 8 says this, Above all else, love each other deeply. You know, as followers of Christ, this is a time in our families and in our workplaces and most importantly with other believers that we're defined by our love one for another. That's not a message people are gonna hear many other places. It's what God commands us to do. And it's actually part of where we get our strength, what sets us apart and makes us different as the body of Christ. Third scripture I wanna give you today is from Hebrews chapter 12. And it's about me and you, our truest citizenship. Now I love the United States of America and I've got great pride in our country. While I think it's the greatest country in all of human history, my highest citizenship is of an even higher order. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, this is the kingdom of God through Jesus, that cannot be shaken. I don't know about you, but there were images and moments this last week that made us feel like, wow, is the United States shaking? Well, Whether or not you feel that way, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have citizenship in a kingdom that not only will not be shaken, it cannot be shaken because it exists in the heart, in the nature of the very source of the universe. The kingdom of God will never be shaken. And so let's be thankful for that. Even though we might be disturbed by things going on in our world, we can be thankful for our citizenship in heaven and we can worship God acceptably with reverence and with awe, believing God, you are the one who will solve every problem in the world. Now, I do wanna encourage you, if you're really concerned about what's going on in our world, or if you really just wanna know, what does the word of God say about how to live right now? Well, we did an in-depth series specifically about United States culture, the word of God, how we are to respond and live for Christ. That series is called Hope of Nations. And I just wanna encourage you, if you haven't watched those messages or if you haven't read the book, there's a book that goes along with it. You can text the word HOPE 
to this number on the screen. You'll get those messages. There's a small group Bible study there. You could go through that with your family or with your small group. I say this for those of you who are curious, who are hungry, who are really asking, how do I live for God now? It's my calling from God to equip you to live for him. And this is a resource that we've got for you. But right now, I wanna just take a moment before we get into our new series and pray together. The word of God tells us to pray at all times for rulers and authorities, tells us to submit to our government leaders and be praying for them. So let's take just a moment and pray for our nation, pray for our government leaders, pray for our church, and commit ourselves to be agents of God's good work in this broken world. Would you pray together with me? Father, I thank you that you're never surprised, that you're never shaken, that you're never insecure or afraid. And Lord, I thank you that when we feel all those things and more, that we can run to you as children running to a good father, that we can crawl up into your lap and we can find stability in you, We can find protection in you. Jesus, we look to you today as our king, as the one who will return and set all things right in this world. You will judge evil once and for all. And Jesus, it's only because you died on the cross for our sins that we've been invited through our faith into the family of God to know that we have eternal life and that we are citizens of a kingdom that will never be shaken. God, you've placed us in this world, not to burrow down into bomb shelters and just survive and make it through all the trauma and tribulation of this world. You've placed us here to proclaim the good news, to show and tell that there is hope through the power of Jesus. And so Lord, I thank you for Connection Point Christian Church. And I pray your protection over her as a body of believers. Lord, I pray that you would continue to shine the light of Jesus brightly through us as a people. Lord, you told us to pray at all times without ceasing. You told us to pray for our rulers and authorities. And so we wanna pray specifically, Lord, for every elected official in our land. We want to pray specifically for the people of this nation. God, that you would turn hearts to you. Lord, when people are shaken and in their human nature, they turn to different things for their security. Would you use us and other believers to help them see that Jesus is the security for whom they ultimately long? God, we pray for our elected officials. We pray for our nation. We pray for our community, hearing of this police officer saying, uh, it's so dark out there right now, spiritually in this area. Lord, would you just pour out your grace on our community? Bring people to salvation. Use your people to not be passive or apathetic, but to truly be lights in the darkness. And God, last, we want to uh, consecrate ourselves, give ourselves to you to be used by you in this world. So we love you. We pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done, that you'd protect your people, that you would heal this land. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've joined us for the first week of a new series called God's Dream for Your Life. Did you know that God has a dream for your life? Now, I wonder what you think of when you think of a dream life. Here's what I think of right away. I think of being at the beach. Why? Because 
I love being at the beach. When I think of being at the beach, it's like mentally disconnecting. There's no work that you have to do at all. You get to just lay in the sun. I don't know what your dream life is. Mine would be maybe someday when I'm old and retired that I can just go to the beach every day and not have to do anything at all. What's your dream life? What would your dream life be? Do you have a dream for your career? Do you have a dream for your family? Do you have a dream for your relationships or for your finances? Now, here's the reality. After Christmas Eve, I got to preach seven Christmas Eve services, which is always a blast. And it was so fun this year. Every single service, you could just feel God in the room. And he worked in thousands of more hearts through our online services. But man, after seven of them, I was wiped out. But Mel and I, we packed the kids up on December 26th. We drove down to Florida and we spent about a week at the beach. And I got to live my dream life down there. Now, if you know me very well, you know that after about a week, I was ready to get back to work because we've got such an important mission as a church. But here's the thing. When Mel and I got home, you know, we drive back two days of driving from Florida and we start to open up all the mail that had come in during that time. And I start to think about, you know, not only the messages that I need to preach, but the meetings I need to have. And here's a realistic question. How do you create a dream life when you're just crazy busy? And then you're crazy busy and you start to watch the news and it just seems like the world is burning down around us. So how do you create a dream life when the world's burning down around you, right? I mean, we all want to build a dream life, but we get busy and then crises happen. So here's our question. If God has a specific dream life for you, if God cares about every dollar of your finances, every day of your career, every relationship that you most care about, if he cares about your emotions and your body, scripture says he knows the hairs on your head, so he also knows the cares in your heart. If he cares about all those things, what if he has a dream life for you? And what if his dream life is even better than the dream life that you hope for, but sometimes get too busy or too discouraged to live out? If God has a specific dream life for you, would you want to experience it? If I could tell you in the next three weeks how to place yourself in the middle of God's dream life for you, would you want to know how? Well, we're going to start to answer that question today, and I want to encourage you, make it your priority to be with us next weekend and the following weekend, because being in the middle of God's dream for your life, it requires follow-through. It requires commitment. But God's going to answer this question for us in the true story of a young man named Joseph. Joseph's story is found in the book of Genesis. In fact, Joseph's story takes up more of the book of Genesis than anyone else. And I have to believe God spent so much time on Joseph's life because it's so much like our lives. And I have to tell you, Joseph's life has inspired me as a follower of Jesus, has helped me through difficult times more than perhaps any other single character in Scripture. Well, the story picks up here in Genesis chapter 37. We'll start in verse two. Joseph was a young man, 17 years old, and he was tending to the flocks with his brothers. Now, Joseph has a bunch of brothers, more than 10. And he comes from a mixed family. There are different moms and it's like he's got stepbrothers. 
Now, here's the thing. He brought to their father a bad report. Now, some people really give Joseph a hard time for this. They call him a snitch or a tattletale. But here's the thing. Joseph cared about his father's flocks. And Joseph cared about his father. Well, you can imagine how his brothers respond when he goes and tattletales. Hey, dad, you assigned the brothers to go watch all the sheep and they're just messing around. They're not really doing it. You know, I grew up with three older brothers and I can tell you this, if I did that to one of my three older brothers, I would get three beatings, one from each of them. So I can't imagine for Joseph. Look at this in verse three. It says that Israel, his dad, loved Joseph more than any of the other sons. Why? Well, because Joseph had been born to him in his old age and he made for Joseph this very decorative robe. You've probably heard about it. Joseph had this robe. It had many colors. It probably actually had longer sleeves and was a longer robe. It was a sign of wealth. It was a sign of authority. In fact, it was kind of his dad saying, this is my favorite son. Well, as a result, verse four, when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than any of him, they hated him. Now we're gonna see in Joseph's life a number of things that happened to him that he can't control. For example, Joseph, he couldn't control that he was his dad's favorite. That was his dad's choice. He also couldn't control that every one of his brothers hated him. Now I point this out because there are things in your life that you can't control the way other people feel about you, sometimes the way other people talk about you, things will happen in your life that you can't control. And very often you may feel like, well, because this thing happened, my dream life can no longer happen. We're gonna see event after event, evil and difficulty one after another that make it look like Joseph's dream life could never happen. And yet we're gonna see that as Joseph faithfully obeys God, God brings about his dream for Joseph's life. God wants to do the same for you, no matter who hates you, no matter who's against you, no matter where you feel like life has fallen apart, God has the power to still bring about his dream for your life. Well, these brothers, it got so bad, they couldn't speak a single kind word about Joseph. Uh, Do you know what that feels like or what it's like to be the recipient of that? In other words, these 10 plus brothers, they hate Joseph so much that they can't even put on a smile and pretend to like him when he's in the room. They can't even come up with a kind word. Well, verse five says that Joseph had a dream. Now, this is not like Joseph had a dream as in he was out daydreaming and he thought, what are my life goals? Who do I wanna become? What do I wanna do? No, this is like Joseph went to bed one night and while he was sleeping, he had a dream. And so I wanna point out, maybe you've never heard this before, but think about this. Joseph didn't choose to have this dream. God inserts this dream in Joseph's mind. Joseph didn't even get a vote in the matter. I talk a lot with my kids and with my wife about dreams because my kids are elementary age and they don't like having scary dreams, but sometimes they do. Sometimes they have great dreams. My wife has very vivid dreams. Now I'm not talking about spiritual dreams from God, just normal dreams. Here's what I know. I can't pick my dreams. They come or they go. Have you ever been woken up in the middle of a really good dream and you try to go back to sleep like, oh, I want that dream to keep going. Or you wake up and you had a terrible dream or you're in a terrible dream and you're trying to change it, but you can't. 
We can't pick our dreams and neither could Joseph. So look at this. Joseph has this dream. And when he tells it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. They already hate him because he's the favorite. He's got the fancy robe. But then they hate him more because he tells them this dream. He says, listen to this dream I had. We were all binding sheaves. That's a big pile of grain out in the field. When suddenly my sheaf rose up, stood upright, while all of your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to me. Well, the brothers aren't dumb. They get the symbolism of this. They're saying, wow, Joseph, you're claiming that we're all gonna bow down and worship you? Now, speaking as the youngest of four boys, I know how my older brothers would have responded to that. I often joke around that even if I ever got elected as the president of the United States, to my older brothers, I would still just be their baby brother. That never changes. Here's Joseph. He's like a youngest. They already don't like him. He tells them this dream that you guys all bowed down to honor me. And then his brothers say this in verse eight. Do you actually intend to reign over us? Little Joseph, skinny Joseph, we're all bigger, we're stronger, we're older. Do you actually think you're gonna reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and because he had the audacity to tell them his dream. Well then get this in verse nine, God gives him another dream. And he tells this one to his brothers. Now people debate, was this wise of Joseph to tell them? You know, probably not. He's a young guy. He doesn't have a ton of wisdom, but he's just excited, I think. He's just being honest. And well, his brothers, they don't share his excitement. He says, listen, I had another dream. This time, the sun and the moon and 11 stars, that would be his 11 brothers, were all bowing down to me. Now the brothers get it. It's symbolic. The sun would be the dad. The moon would be the mom. The 11 stars would be them. Now as odd as this dream might seem, it turns out that this actually was God's dream for Joseph's life. Now, God may or may not speak to you through dreams, but all through Joseph's life, consistently God would give him dreams. That was one of the ways God communicated with Joseph. Where God communicates with us today primarily is through his written word. Joseph didn't have the Bible that we have today. I wanna give you a few initial lessons from this dream that God had for Joseph's life. Because from Genesis 37 to Genesis chapter 50, we're going to see God's dream fulfilled. Joseph's brothers eventually will bow down to him, but the story's far bigger than that. God's gonna use Joseph to save his family from starvation. Not only will Joseph save his family, he will save two nations in a time of famine across an entire continent. God's gonna use Joseph to save hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of lives. In the process, God is going to secure the lineage of the Messiah, Jesus. He's going to shape world history. And then get this, the book of Revelation. So we're in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. The book of Revelation is the final book of the Bible. If you go to Revelation chapter 12, you will see this prophecy in Revelation about the sun and the moon and the stars. And it's very clear in that prophecy that Israel 
will give birth to a child, that's Jesus, and that there will be great tribulation toward Israel. Think about how Jewish people have been treated throughout history. And this dream of Joseph actually ends up becoming a prophecy. Uh, And if you're new to scripture, what's so beautiful about this is the book of Genesis was actually written thousands of years before the book of Revelation, but it all fits together. Joseph ends up playing a part in saving his family, saving two nations, shaping world history, bringing about the Messiah, and even being one of the prophets who will explain how end times come together when Christ will ultimately return. Now, between this moment and all that wonderful stuff that we heard is a whole bunch of suffering and heartache, times when it's difficult and it hurts. You know, God's dream for your life doesn't guarantee that your life will be easy. In fact, because God had a dream on Joseph's life, Joseph's life got very difficult. But here's the thing. If you stay surrendered to God, God will use you to rescue others. If you stay surrendered to God, God will use you to bring glory to himself. If you stay surrendered to him, you will end up fulfilled and living a life of purpose. You know, Joseph's brothers, they weren't too excited about his dream. And one day we're told later here in Genesis chapter 37 that his brothers see him walking from the distance and they say, there's that dreamer. Let's throw him into this dried up well, this cistern. Now at this time, they were about 60 or 70 miles from home. So they knew dad's not around. We can kill our brother or get rid of our brother and dad will never know. Well, they throw him into this cistern and they're deciding essentially how are we gonna kill him when some slave traders show up? They hear the clanking and the shouting of these slave masters and they say, where are you guys going? They say, we're on our way to Egypt, hundreds of miles away. So one of the brothers mentions, he says, hey guys, why kill Joseph? Then we'd have to live with his blood on our hands. He's our own relative. We should sell him for pieces of silver and then we'll never have to see him again. We'll never have to hear his squealy voice or hear about any of his wild dreams of us bowing down to him. I want you to imagine what it was like as Joseph. First, for his brothers, as he approaches them, they're out working in the field and he thinks, you know, hey guys, I'm glad to see you. And they strip that ornamental robe off of him. They throw him down into this cistern after they beat him up. And then they drop down a rope and he thinks, hey, maybe they've changed their minds and they're not gonna kill me. And they pull him, they lift him up only to say, here's the slave traders that we've sold you to. And I imagine that shackles got put around Joseph's wrists and he starts walking behind this wooden wagon between other slaves from other lands. Some of these slaves perhaps from Africa, others there from the ancient Near East, from neighboring areas. These slave masters, Ishmaelites and Midianites, they start yelling orders to Joseph in a language that he doesn't know. They start to bring down this whip onto the skin of his back. And every time he doesn't obey a command that he doesn't understand, they beat him and abuse him. Then he arrives in Egypt. In the dust and the dirt, the chains and the shackles, the filth of a slave market, of these slave holding cells. 
And in that moment, could it still be true that God had a dream for Joseph's life? Often when we study Joseph's life, we skip to the end when everything gets better and he's the second in charge of Egypt and his brothers come to him and he saves the day and he forgives them and it's this beautiful emotional resolution. But in this moment, when Joseph's being dragged as a slave and then shoved up onto the slavery auction block, it sure didn't feel like God had a dream for Joseph's life. Is this maybe where you are in your life? Is there some shackle, some difficulty, some rejection or injustice? Someone who should have loved you, who sold you out, someone who betrayed you, some circumstance where maybe when you were younger or healthier, maybe at some point when your career was going well or things were going well, you thought, yeah, God's got a good plan for my life. But right now, the whip of life has beat the dreams out of you. The sickness, the slavery, the brutality, the reality of life has reduced you to the point that you no longer think about God having a dream for your life. Now you just think about trying to get through another day or get through another hour or get through another week. I wanna give you three lessons today that you can work into your heart to begin experiencing God's healing from the difficulties of life And the first one, very simple, but very profound, if you'll open your heart to it, is this. God has a dream for your life. I mean, think about this, just the simplicity of these words. God has a dream for your life. God cares about your life. He knows the hurt that you're carrying right now. He knows the disappointment. He knows the rejection. And all the pain that you're enduring right now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan. We see this beautiful theme in Joseph's life. When he tells his brothers at the end of his life, he says, you meant it for evil, but God was able to take your evil intentions and turn them for good. God's dream for Joseph's life, it couldn't be thwarted. It couldn't be ended even by evil people. And God has a similar dream for your life. God has good plans for you. Would you believe it today? Maybe you're believing it for the first time. We know for sure God has a dream for your life because he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. If you've never received him before, today can be your day of salvation where you simply call out, you say, God, I want your dream for my life. I believe in Jesus. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Be my savior, give me eternal life. Others of you, you've believed in Jesus and on paper, you'd say, yes, God's in control. He has a plan. But today, God brought you into this moment to resurrect some hope in your heart to bring back some life in your heart, to say, weary traveler, aging mother, ailing and sick, beaten down by the cares of this world, God still has a dream for your life. Where you're chained in grief again, or you're chained in debt, or you're chained in loneliness, or maybe cynicism and discouragement about the state of our world, would you believe today that God still has a dream for your life? God's dream for Joseph's life had not changed when he found himself sold as a slave, 
dragged behind the slave cart. All your best years might seem behind you. All your best plans might seem impossible. All your expectations for your marriage, your career, they may seem as far away as Joseph's homeland. Think about this treasured son, his father's favorite child, and he had to love his dad so much. And, and as a slave, not only is he going through the physical abuse and the physical pain and the calluses on his hands and learning a new language, the emotional sting of his brothers rejecting him, but also he just misses his dad. And he starts to realize, I'm never even going to see him again. And then he's standing there and he gets sold to a foreign slave owner. I wonder where has difficulty destroyed your dreams? Those brothers, when they saw Joseph coming, they said, here comes that dreamer. We're gonna destroy him so that his dreams never happen. And you know what? They did everything in their power to make sure his dreams wouldn't happen. But guess what? Their power was far inferior to God's power. And God's dream would still happen. Did you know that when God made his creation, he had a dream for it and an enemy, Satan, came in to say, I'm gonna destroy God's dream. But at the cross, Jesus proved that Satan's power is inferior to God's power. I don't know what difficulty has destroyed your dreams. I don't know where a difficult person has gotten in the way of your dreams. I don't know where you've been shackled or sold as a slave, but God brought you today into this moment to say that that thing is inferior to him. That thing cannot block his dream for your life. In fact, listen to this. The only person in all the universe who could prevent God's dream from happening in your life is you. Satan can't stop God's dream for your life. Your spouse, your health, presidents and rulers and politicians and rioters, none of them can block God's dream for your life. The only person who can is you. And what Joseph gets right is that as life falls apart and gets harder and harder, he continues to believe that God is bigger, that God is better. He continues to hold on to the reality that God could overcome all these difficulties. Well, Joseph gets sold as a slave and he gets sold not to a kindergarten teacher or to an artist, but to a military man, to the captain of the Pharaoh of Egypt's bodyguard, sold to a master who would not be a kind and gracious master, at least not at first. And as I prayed over this message, and as I prayed about God's dream in your life, I knew that some of you, you'd latch onto this idea right away. You're optimistic or you're still youthful and you'd know right away, yeah, God's got a dream for my life. But as I prayed, I also realized there will be some of you listening right now who in your spirit, you're just resistant. You're the realists. You've experienced and seen the pain of this world. You've experienced the hurt of this world. And I realized all the other principles about God's dream for your life, none of them really matter if you don't actually believe for yourself. Believe for yourself that there's an author to this story that we're living. Believe in your own heart that he's the creator of the planets and he has a dream for your life. Now, I'm not saying this in some self-help way that if you just try harder, you can make your dream life happen. What I'm saying is if you will simply stay submitted to God, he'll make his dream for your life happen. 
we see from Joseph's life that the dream can be dirty. The dream can be painful. The dream is bloody and it's sweaty and it hurts and it's lonely, but it's still a dream. And God still has a dream for your life. Listen to this from Jeremiah chapter one. God says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. It's one of my favorite chapters of scripture. A lot of times right before I preach, when I'm feeling really insecure and like, God, how could you use me? Why would you use me? He'll bring this scripture to mind. Before you were even a a tiny little embryo, God knew you. He knew your personality and he has a plan for your life. And just like Joseph's life, even when evil things come into your life, he can turn those evil things for good if you will submit to him, if you will surrender to him, if you'll continue believing in him. For all who've trusted in Christ, God says this in Philippians 1 verse 6. It says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, who's that? That's God. God began a good work in you. What will he do? He will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Have you ever driven by a house where people started a remodel and they, it just keeps going on and on and they never carry it on to completion? Or uh, maybe it's a house where there's a car in the front driveway and it's up on blocks and they removed some parts and years have gone by. They just not, never got around to completing it. Did you know that God does not leave incomplete projects. When he called your name, when he died on the cross for your sins, when he knew you before you could even think a coherent thought and you were an embryo in your mother's womb, he knew you, he called you, and he will continue his work in your life. He will bring it about to completion. What is your role? Saying, God, I'm surrendered. God, my life is yours. God, work your way in my life. God, where evil has happened in my life, I trust that you will turn it for good. Listen to this from Philippians 2, verse 13. It's God who works in you to will and to act or to do according to his good purpose. God has a good purpose for your life. And I love this. You see, God's dream for your life, you play a role in it. Joseph did a lot of things right. He was a man of integrity. He was honest. He worked hard. He always saw God as bigger than his problems. But Joseph sinned like you and I do. He was a normal person. The person who made the dream happen for Joseph wasn't Joseph. It was Almighty God. It's God who works in you. And that's the second thing you need to know today about God's dream for your life. It's this. You don't have to make God's dream happen. It's not like God's dream is some like uh, Ikea box that shows up and you have to open it and you have to figure out all the instructions and get it all together. God does the work. If you simply obey him, if you simply stay faithful to him, you do have a role to play, but your role isn't to create or to bring life or to open doors or to change hearts or to move nations. That's God's stuff. Your job to obey him, to be the person that he's called you to be in the situation where he's placed you and appointed you to be. Well, how do you know what God's will for your life is? How do you know how to obey? You can't know without the word of God. And so I wanna encourage you, be here with us every weekend. Say in in the year 2021, I'm gonna be in the word of God 
every weekend at Connection Point. Why? Because I want to obey God so that I can experience God's dream for my life. As you continue gathering with us, we want to give you a Bible that you can read for yourself and fully understand and enjoy. It's called the Life Application Study Bible. I actually just got a letter on December 26th uh, from a gentleman in our church who recently got one of these Life Application Study Bibles. And he was writing to me describing how he was reading a passage and it moved him to tears. And then the study notes led him to another passage. And essentially, Brent is seeing his life change now because of this Life Application Study Bible. So if you haven't yet gotten a Bible that you love to read, text us the word Bible at this number on the screen. We'll get you a Bible today. Why? So that you can join us every weekend, whether in person or online, you can open your own study Bible and every weekend you can be part of being right in the middle of God's will so that you experience God's dream for your life. Well, I mentioned three ways today, and this last one I'm just going to hint at, and we'll unpack it more next week. It's this, every obstacle in your life becomes an opportunity when God is involved. You know, in Joseph's life, his brothers selling him into slavery, that was just the first of many obstacles. He's going to be falsely accused. He's going to be wrongly imprisoned. All sorts of things are going to happen to Joseph obstacle after obstacle, but every one of those obstacles ends up becoming an opportunity. In fact, the slave traders gave him transportation to Egypt where he would become the second in command. Why did these impossibly evil obstacles turn out to be opportunities? Well, it wasn't through positive thinking. It was through the power of God. The obstacles in your life become opportunities in your life when God is involved. So join me in saying, in this new year of 2021, I'm going to make God the center of my life. Why? Because I can't control the obstacles that will occur in our nation, in my family, in my world, but I can control that I'm close to God. And if I'm close to God, then every obstacle becomes an opportunity. At Christmas Eve, we told you the story of Eric. Eric had a huge obstacle in his life this time a year ago. He had just gone through a divorce. He was homeless. He was in debt. And so many of these obstacles, but Eric did one thing right. He said, I'm going to reach out to God at Connection Point. Eric started attending every week. And now one year later, his life is radically different. He's starting to live God's dream for his life. Why had these obstacles turned into opportunities? Well, because he reached out to God. Let me tell you how Eric reached out to us. We talked about our financial coaching and Eric texted this word finance to us. In fact, if you wanna join our financial coaching, there's free financial coaching to help you get completely out of debt. Every year, hundreds of thousands of dollars of personal debt gets paid off by people who sign up for our financial coaching. We wanna help you. If you'll do the work, We'll help you. We'll give you professional, excellent guidance. Text us the word finance at 317-350-1996. That's one step. Maybe your step is some other area of your life that seems like an obstacle, but if you will bring that thing to God, bring your marriage to God, bring your health to God, bring your emotions to God, bring your addictions to God, bring your problems to God. Join us here every weekend and you will see the power of God 
turn your obstacles into opportunities through the presence of God. Let me pray that for you right now. Father, Lord, we've all got so many obstacles in our lives. So many things we're discouraged about in our world. But through the life of Joseph, we're reminded that even the darkest evil, even the most impossible setback does not stop you, does not hinder you. That every problem in our life is far inferior to your power. And so God, I pray for every person listening right now that you would revive our hearts, that you would strengthen our faith, that you'd help us to believe again that you have a dream for our life that cannot be stopped. The very gates of hell cannot stop your work in our life. The only person who could stop your work in our life is ourselves. And so we commit, God, that we will be in your house, online or in person, every weekend in this year of 2021. We commit next week to return to learn more about your dream in our life. And God, this week, would you help us to believe that you've got a good plan for our lives? Would you help us to surrender like Joseph and to stay faithful to you even in the hard times? We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.